And so they got up and made speeches. On the speeches, they talked about what happened to their grandparents, to their uncles, to their aunts. And uh, one woman got up and she says, uh, um, it was Margie, uh, Margie Burkhardt, I think. Yeah. So she's related to Ernest, see. But she got up and she said, you got to remember, yes, there were villains, there were bad guys, there were good guys. She said, but Molly and Ernest were in love. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, members of the Osage tribe are murdered under mysterious circumstances, sparking a major FBI investigation in director Martin Scorsese's crime drama, Killers of the Flower Moon. Set in 1920s Oklahoma and told through the impossible romance of Ernest Burkhart and Molly Kyle, the film depicts the true serial murders of members of the oil-wealthy Osage Nation, which came to be known as the Reign of Terror. In addition to Killers of the Flower Moon, Scorsese's many directorial credits include the DGA Award-nominated features Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Gangs of New York, The Wolf of Wall Street, and The Irishman. The DGA Award-nominated documentary George Harrison, Living in the Material World, the DGA Award-winning pilot episode of Boardwalk Empire, and the DGA and Academy Award-winning feature, The Departed. In 2003, Scorsese was honored with the DGA's Lifetime Achievement Award in feature film. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Scorsese spoke with director Ty West about filming Killers of the Flower Moon. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Woo. Wow. Yeah. So, Ty. Yeah. yeah. As I said, Killers of the Flower Moon. We're yes, you've reminded game. me of the title, so I'm prepared now. Yeah. Um, well, everyone here who just saw it, and I, I'm very confident in, in your reaction to it. I saw it last night and had, I'm sure, the same reaction. Um, my first question to you is, when was the last time you've watched it all the way through, and what is it like for you to watch this movie? That's a good question. I um, I haven't seen a lot of the movies I made uh, from beginning to end uh, oh, many, many years. But this particular one, um, this and uh, a couple of others like Hugo and stuff like that. Bottom line is um, I looked at it for the second time since I finished the mix and the timing, color timing. Um, uh, first in Cannes and in New York, I think, I think it was last week. I can't tell where we are now because I've been traveling. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, I can't tell what the time uh, zones are, but in any event, I sat through it twice and I tell you what it was. It was the weirdest thing this film is sort of like an octopus in a way. I'm struggling with it the way Wolf of Wall Street or the Irishman, not the Irishman, Wolf of Wall Street, I think. And so, um, we were creating this was a living sort of organism because it was developing as we were shooting, um, as we were editing a little more, then even further. And then finally, um, uh, it got to the point, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a lengthy picture. <laughs> and I think I got it to the right length, its pace for what it should be. 
in a theater, I think. Okay, so I'm not being funny, but it's like, you know, you really got to, you know, it, it's an investment, the, the Apple, everybody, Paramount, so you got to look, you know, I really think this is it. And I tried it for, for some people. I didn't try, I used to, I used to do more of that. Uh, but I, I, you know what it is? I had to be satisfied. And then I found that I, I was, I, meaning that I didn't get bored. And I don't mean that as a joke, but it's true. And so... Or sometimes Thelma will look at me, my editor, and say, what is this scene doing for us? I said, nothing, get rid of it. It's gonna rip it out, and then we realize, oh my God, we need that part back, okay. But still, it's like, we really get in there. But this picture I actually sat through during to check the mix, is when I realized, I was, I said, oh God, like three hours, and I said, I have to check the mix now, reel by reel again. And I found that I, I watched it. And I don't mean to be funny about that. It's, it's hard work, and as you, we all, you all know, and it takes time, and it takes a lot of thought. Um, and so I found I not only watched it, I I um, I was I was absorbed by it. I was uh, I was uh, I actually was enjoying watching it. And so the same at can, although that was the first time with like three thousand people, so I was a little nervous. <laughs> and in New York. And in New York, uh, the same. And I found that uh, uh, I, I could I could actually watch the picture. Now it doesn't mean the other films I didn't I didn't like. It's just that um, in certain cases they were finished, they were done. Let's move on. But this one has dra dragged out be because of well, there were a number of issues with um, doing the CGI on the Irishman, which added five to six months in post production. Then we start writing again with this picture with Eric Roth and myself and people. And next thing you know, the pandemic, everything came to a halt. We didn't know they were making it or not. We didn't know they were going to live or die. We didn't know any of this. Then it starts up again. And then at this at that certain point, they said, well, let's release it at the end of the year. Well, we finished the film, um, which is great. Fine. You release it when you want. I said, when they think it's best. But we had finished the picture in um, April. May, in January, February, March, around March. So I've been waiting. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Marking time, right? So it's still the same picture seven years later. <laughs> I mean, I'm still in the same, you know, I've done, I did Irishman, I did, there's a a, a music or kind of a music film of, of David Johansson called One Night, Personality Crisis, One Night Only, which we enjoy doing at the same time, David Tedeschi and myself, my editor uh, on these music films. And those music films keep me, uh, music films that kind of, I don't want to use the word documentary because I feel that it is it, at this point, it separates, it breaks up cinema it, it too, too much. I think it's a, you call it nonfiction if you want, but maybe some of it's fiction, I don't know. So that in a way it becomes a film. It's another kind of film, that's all. It's a storytelling another way. And so that helps me in the storytelling in this one to break certain, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, certain rules. I said, we didn't in, in this other one. Well, that's a nonfiction. It doesn't matter. Let's see if we can, you know, like a piece of music. So anyway, that, that was the last time I saw it was New York. Uh, tomorrow night, I think I might look at it again. Um, <laughs> you know, it depends on how everybody, if we get a good night's sleep. No, I'm not kidding because <laughs> at my age, flying around from, from uh, what was it? Was it, we were in London to, to, to Mexico City. <laughs> Never again. I mean, not, nothing to do with London and Mexico City. I'm taking the flight. 
It's just that you don't know where your, your molecules keep traveling. <laughs> you know. You, you wrote the script um, with Eric Roth as well. You don't always do that. And I'm curious, um, what made you decide that this was the next project to do? And what made you decide to write on it as well? And did it have anything to do, you just said with The Irishman, you had a, a, a longer post-production because of yes. the CGI. Mm -hmm. Did that get you sort of antsy to... Well, to, to well you see, one of the things, the, the, uh, the longer, longer post-production on, on Irishman, those six months or five and a half months, plus the year of the pandemic, actually helped us work the script. At that point, we didn't know if we were ever going to work again. We, as I said, and we all know that it was such a time that we didn't know what the world was going to be like and what was going to happen. And the only thing I had was to keep working on the script. Eric always felt, Marty, I want to share credit with you. Um, and, uh, because we, we've been through it since 2017 and we tried every, which every, which way with the angle of the story and the way David Grant's book was beautifully written. Uh, we tried to make it for 2017, 2018, 2019 for two and a half years, two years. We worked on it while I was doing Irishman and we tried to make a film, you know, um, I, I'm a great admirer of the Western genre, um, I always felt that the Western genre that I grew up watching in the 1940s and 50s into the early 60s, really 1940s and 50s, it ended with The Wild Bunch, I think, Peck and Puss film, 68, I think it is, 67. So everything after that is a new world in terms of how we look at our history. And not just um, debunking or, or uh, so now we're going to show the real story. This guy was a drunk. This guy was an addict. She was terrible. Calamity Jane. That, that fine. Those are great things. You, know, you get to say, okay, let's balance it out then. Let's see, what, let's see what really goes on. So let's get to the heart of it. And so um, Eric and I were trying, according to the layout of the book, which was the Killers of the Flower Moon, the uh, Osage Reign of Terror, and the birth of the FBI. And um, no matter how I tried to spin the story in terms of what scenes we would keep, what we would do with Tom White as a character, by the way, is the real Tom White was a very much like Jesse, you know, um, he, just the way he plays him here, same tie, we got him the same tie and everything. It's just like the man was very, 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 um, hmm, you know, he was, he was a good man. He was a good man. And, uh, he grew up, his father was the, uh, his father was a uh, warden in, in a prison. As a young boy, he saw terrible things including his father being stabbed. Um, uh, he then became warden in prison. Um, there was one instance, I, real fast, this guy was so, uh, he had such a sense of morality that at one point in the prison that he was the, uh, uh, the warden and there was a man who almost killed him. The guy ran away. They caught the guy. He never even told him a word about saying how, you know, you know I'm gonna make you pay for that, nothing. Put him back in his cell. And that was it. Uh, very interesting, by the way. Yeah. So, you know, I'm thinking, well, it's not usually the characters I work with. <laughs> well, I mean, I could do that, but like I'm doing what somebody else did. And I'm wondering, I, just, I saw all those films as a kid. I saw all those films as a teenager and as a young person. Um, there's so many people who could do that sort of thing. And they have done it so beautifully. So where the hell am I on this? And so... Ultimately, the real key was going to Oklahoma a few times before the pandemic hit and meeting the Osage. 
because David Grant told me, he says, he, you know, he didn't have to tell me because I had some experience with um, indigenous and Native Americans in the 70s. And I know that you have to be very careful. And, you, you know, what is the story there? I didn't know the story. I was too young. Uh, I don't want to present them as victims. I, they, they tried that in, uh, uh, in certain films to, to in the late 60s, early 70s, re- revisionism. Um, but all that is was people saying, oh, it's terrible what we did. Right. Okay, let's move on. And we don't understand how and why things like this happen in, in, in our, things like this are, are possible in our human nature and the clash of cultures and philosophies. So um, I said, what the hell? He said, you have to really be careful with the Osage. You got to go there and make sure. I said, of course. So I figured when I got there, I'd see what the reaction would be to me. Um, I was used to usually a very, very uh, antagonistic one, quite honestly. This was very different. Chief Standing Bear, his wife Julie, Addie Roanhorse, all of them. We all sat in a room, Chad Renfro, and we talked. And I figured I'm going to meet for like 25 minutes, um, but um, it was like over two and a half hours. And what they were concerned was that was really because they don't trust anyone. They just don't trust. And I said, I knew I had to make the film... And I knew then that I had to do something that when a person says, trust me, you got to worry. You know, I don't mean to be flip about that. That often They may often mean it, but watch out. So, <laughs> so you can't say, hey, you could trust me. Oh, really? You know, look at Goodfellas. Look at, uh, you know, uh, you know, and they're looking at me. So then somebody had mentioned, um, somebody had mentioned a few things and uh, silence came up, the movie Silence. So they saw there was another aspect of the kind of things I do um, and the kind of story I wanted to tell. I, I, I then attended a few a big dinner that they gave at Grace, Gray Horse, uh, where a lot of the families are still alive. You see, all the, all the, they're in the movie too. They were behind the camera, in front of the camera, the descendants of the people that are, you see in the film. Um, and only one generation removed, or maybe two. And so they got up and made speeches. On the speeches, they talked about what happened to their grandparents, to their uncles, to their aunts. And uh, one woman got up and she says, uh, um, it was Margie, uh, Margie Burkhardt, I think. Yeah. So she's related to Ernest, see. But she got up and she said, you got to remember, um, she says, I saw your movies and things like that, but then I saw this movie Silence. And I said, maybe there's something that you could, you could connect with me as a person, she said. And what you must remember is that, yes, there were villains, there were bad guys, there were good guys. She said, but Molly and Ernest were in love. And that stayed with me. And I said, Molly and Ernest were in love. This guy is, what is he doing with her? How could she stay with him? Because she stayed um, into the courtroom after the trial, in David Grant's book, you have the, the Bureau investigation, uh, Tom White and his guys looking at each other saying, she's still there. What is it with her? What is it? So then you're investigating love. Love, trust, betrayal. Then I realized that that's the story. Not necessarily the uh, Bureau, which they did and did well, came in from the outside and undid everything that they saw. No. I mean, in a case like that, the minute they get off the train and they go into town, I mean, it's not a whodunit. It's who didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Now the trick was to show how we are complicit. 
because sometimes we get sick. Sometimes our wife is sick. Sometimes the kids need something. Okay, okay, charge them an extra $50. I need the money. They got money anyway, fuck it, you know? And so, you know, what, it, what does that lead to? It could lead to a genocide, you know, because at a certain point, you're fascinated by uh, the peoples in Europe during World War II or leading up to the 1930s and how, how uh, the, the, the suicide of the uh, Western civilization in World War II occurred, you know. Uh, and so for me, I'm fascinated how people behave under the circumstances or like in silence where he does step on the fume. Is he really, is he really uh, rejecting his Jesus? I don't think he is, but to the outside world he is. So now what does that mean to us as human beings? So we went ahead and kept working on the script. And when we tried, then we realized we had to balance the love story or the relationship with Ernest and Molly with all the, the technical details and all the specifications of, uh, uh, you know, who did what, when, and who, Blackie Thompson and this guy and uh, the Red Roadster and, and, you know, all this nonsense. And so at a certain point, it was after the, uh, it was right before the, uh, the uh, uh, pandemic hit. Leo and I met and we worked together a number of times and I, I felt really good working with him over the years from, especially from Aviator on. And, uh, and, and, and in effect, we worked together on these projects. Uh, uh, we come up with ideas, arguments and discussions and he'll say something in passing and I'll write it down and it becomes a scene this way or that way. And, um, uh, we were facing the issue of how to direct him as Tom White. And we sat down after reading the script again. Um, and this is about two, three weeks before uh, the pandemic started. And he said, you know, where's the heart of the movie? I said, the heart of the movie is her and him. It's Molly and Ernest. So he looked at me, he says, don't kill me, but I think I should play Ernest. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> We've taken Tom White as far as we could, and I still come up against Henry Fonda and my Donald Clementine. I still come up, the, I still come up, quite honestly, with the best of Clint Eastwood. I mean, what am I doing? What are we doing? So instead of taking from the outside in, we rip the script from the inside out. And so, so we're, we start in the inside like soldiers. You just know... You just know one foot in front of you and to the right or left. You don't know what's going on in the battle. And so we're on the ground and everybody you meet is suddenly, what are they doing, these people? <laughs> you don't get it. And you're living in that world. In order to get something, you have to go to your guardian. He has to tell you, it's got to be a he, has got to tell you, you know, does your mother really need all that meat? By the way, that's actual from a transcript. I mean, does she need all that meat? Well, what do you care? Yeah. There are people come and go. That's how they live. It's, it, you know, they got a nice summer house. Cousins come in. They need all those cars. They looked at cars as horses. If you see in a Western, I love that horse. You know, get three or four horses. Oh, that's great. He's got three horses, three cars. Oh, my God. They're expending, you know, over, they're overspending. No, they're like horses. And if you go out there, and I'm, I'm, an, I'm a diehard urban person. I know I don't want to shock anyone. <laughs> okay, I want it as a revelation. Okay, right here now. Uh, but, but what I'm saying is that I don't, I don't know. I go out and suddenly there's these wide open spaces. You can't get around without, without horses, without cars. And, um, at that time, those, there were no roads and I didn't know that, you know, and I was on a few roads that were no roads. 
<laughs> and I began, it was like being in a, in a, you know, a stagecoach. And I said, whoa, wow. Naturally, they wanted these cars and these then, you know. So in any event, that was the big change. We presented uh, our first draft of it uh, right before COVID hit, a few weeks later. And I, I'll get to the, the end of this in a way. Um, having been, having spending time with a lot of the Osage, I also wanted to include a lot of their uh, culture and their rituals. And I also then wanted to take the culture of the Osage and uh, contrast it or have it um, coexist with the culture of the white, like the Masons or all the KKK, you know, walking in the street or just good family people, you know. Uh, and so I wanted to do more of that. I wanted to learn more about their culture and find ways to slip it in the script and find, you know. And so quite honestly, it, it was the first draft of a draft was going to keep changing so much. And, um, uh, well, at that point, the, the studio was paramount and they, they just felt that they preferred the other script. And I said, but you see, no, this is, it's going to be, it's, we're going to, but when you say it's going to be, I still got to give you the money. How do we know it's going to be? <laughs> I said, no, no, we're really going to, because we're not going to, we're going to get it to, how do you know? I said, I think I know. I, and I, I don't know. I mean, we'd be doing it. And so they said, sorry, but we can't. And then Apple, of course, came in and Paramount came back. They, they were terrific. They were terrific. I understood completely too why um, they would have preferred the other uh, versions. Uh, but um, having said that, it, it's about dealing with, um, uh, instead of talking historically or preaching, I thought, what if we take it in the family? What if we have a husband and wife? She says, you just want money. He says, damn right I do. I love money, you know. He likes to drink, likes to play around, that kind of thing, and she's in love with him. There's a really great moment in the film, and, and you go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. In hearing you say all that about, you know, trust me and, and, and everything you just said, it made me think of when I saw the film, um, I was listening to two people when we left the theater talking about it, and they were talking about the moment at the end of the film when she says, are you telling me the truth? What did you really put in there? And I, they were sort of debating on, well, he knew or he doesn't want to say or he doesn't want to. And it was interesting to hear them have that debate. And I had a different opinion that I didn't offer up than they had. But I think hearing you just say all that and, and talking about when people say, trust trust me, it's um, a cause for alarm. And to say that at the core of the film, it was it was that and it was love. That was an experience that I had leaving a, a small screening. And just to hearing people debate about that scene, I think speaks to the fact that clearly if that was your drive, it is, it's so in there that even in this like one example, I can point to that's how it panned out. So, um, which is just kind of amazing for me to hear you say that and think, oh, I just had this experience last night and it tracks. Um, but I, I'm also curious to hear you talk about that. And so what was your first conversation with Lily like about that? Once you knew that this was the heart of the well, movie. Well, the first, the first, um, uh, conversation was, uh, well, first was Ellen Lewis, my casting person. She uh, told me before the pandemic, we kept saying, we've got to find the woman. Wait, this is going to be, and it has to be obviously indigenous. We'd not go, you know, it's got to be somebody, we've got to try Osage, we've got to try this, we've got to, and even within, there's very few full-blood Osage left. So everything's mixed. So um, we had to get there okay. And that might be another nation that they may not agree with. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? So all of this, and, and uh, uh, Ellen told me at one point, she says, I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> and when she said that, with that hesitation, she wouldn't use the word okay. 
Um, she would say, I think I have some ideas, but she says, I think we're going to be okay. I felt a little bit of relief. And then I met, um, Molly, I saw her in this Kelly Reichardt film. I like her films, uh, uh, certain women. And she does this whole last sequence. And I said, that woman's amazing. That's really, she's great. And what do you think? He says, I think she could do it. I think that's the one. I said, all right, let's meet her. But then COVID hit or whatever. And I met her after COVID on the Zoom. We never met in person. And um, how she spoke, um, her sense of who she is, her sense of obviously the indigenous and the situation with the indigenous uh, for the past four or 500 years, her um, activism, um, and also her activism, but within the con, within the mm, framework of art, not preaching. In other words, to play a character truthfully that we give flesh to the, to the story for real, but um, it wouldn't be, uh, you know, standing on a soapbox, uh, waving flags, uh, and make you feel it, make you feel it through her. She's got somebody described her eyes, like a face, like Olivia de Havilland, you know, uh, and I found that when Rodrigo and I got on, whenever she was in the frame, I said to me being, you know, Southern Italian background for me, it's like the Renaissance for me, it's like the Madonna her face, her eyes. I just, you know, but then she has that edge and she had the edge all along off camera too, which, but the edge always had a little smile to it. Like I know you whites. <laughs> I said, come on, we're going <laughs> to, a couple of times is very funny because with certain people like the sheriff and a few people that she instinctively moved away from them. And I, I have to go over, or like Bill, Bill Hale, for example, De Niro. But he was on another planet. He was just do his thing. You know, was, he got, as long as he had his glasses and he's, ah, I'm fine. And, and he went in there and, and he go, come here, Molly. And then she go, she moved away. I said, no, you like him. You like him. <laughs> but she instinctively knew she, she had that trouble of understanding that Bill Hale really was the mastermind of all this. And I don't care how much she's supposed to have liked him. She instinctively would, would, um, uh, React that kind of goes bit. back we to start trust laughing. again. We start laughing. I said, you got, he says, I, I, you watch me. I said, yeah, don't worry about it. Um, but it, uh, not, that's not a criticism. That That's just how deeply she felt mm -hmm. that even the people playing the parts, she would get, uh, uh, you'd see it. You'd see it right away. And so it was a real, real work for her, uh, including um, uh, religious elements, the Catholicism, all that, mm -hmm. you know, uh, was was really, she, she was the one, she was the, she started learning Osage. Um, we started working with the Osage. Marianne Bauer, uh, my archivist co-producer, she started keeping everything together. Uh, a couple of friends of mine helped on scripting. They threw me transcripts of a lot. Like, for example, Kelsey Morrison's speech in the, uh, or his, uh, his, his uh, testimony in, in the courtroom. That's word for word from the actual testimony. Um, his line about it, I have two kids, my wife's kids, and... You know, if I adopt them and take them to Mexico and they die, will I get the money? And, and the lawyer actually said, you realize you're telling me that you're going to adopt these kids and kill them. That's an actual line. I said, what? And he said, no, not if it's not legal. Okay. <laughs> so this is what we're dealing with. When a person says it's not legal, I mean, when a person says, yeah, yeah, well, it's legal. That, that doesn't mean it's right. You know what I'm saying? And that's the world we're in, you know? Um, and so 
I said, wow, that's interesting. But the trick was to get Kelsey at that point in the movie. How could you go off at that point and do that scene? But I tried and we figured it out. But what I'm getting at is that um, she learned a lot from the Osage. And she would come to me, her and Marianne would come to me and tell me stories and tell me uh, things about, which became Coyote, for example, Mm. Uh, Shimazi, you know. Uh, And that was improvised in the scene in the car where Leo says, uh, you know, um, she says something. He said, what did you just say? She says it again in Osage. And he goes, well, I don't know what that, was, I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't know what he said, but it must mean, uh, must be Indian for handsome devil. And you see her laugh. And that's, that's the crux of the movie. She laughed genuinely. <laughs> so right there, we had that as the heart of the picture, always to go back to. There was a kind of real love between the two of them as people, you know, um, in, in effect, Every day, there'd be additions and changes so that, in effect, we kept writing and rewriting <clears throat> myself and the actors. And we're really, uh, yeah, and the, and the Osage until the last day of shooting, there's no doubt. And so um, uh, it, it was really a, uh, a tightrope walk everywhere, you know, and trying to get as much in. We had more. I, I wanted to do more with the Osage uh, rituals and that sort of thing. But primarily, she would find out certain things uh, that, uh, like, for example, her and her sisters sitting in the picnic, and they're all talking in Osage about the guys. You know, who He's handsome. He's not. This, and, this is something that they wanted to do. I said, great. So a friend of mine said, they should be over in the corner there. And you, you see Bill looking. He's going to kill each one. Then you see Leo playing over there and you see the girls they're looking at him you don't need dialogue I said no you don't need the dialogue but then they said what if we talk about them I said yeah mm-hmm. and they came up with lines about you know he's a, a possum to you but he's a rabbit to me and things like this yeah, yeah. so <laughs> I said great yeah. and we just kept shooting that way you know and trying to keep as far as possible the story straight and implicate everyone including Bill Hale's wife telling the doctor to get furniture out of the house. Now, what's that about? Yeah. You know, and by the way, this is based on actual things. They were, they were, they were told to get the good stuff out of the house, you know? Um, and so that's the way uh, a lot of the picture was finally uh, balanced in a sense, a balancing act. That's why I say it's like a tightrope walk with one of those poles, you know? Well, the setup of the movie is really, sort of profound as well is like the opening which almost feels like it would be a title sequence but this sort of opening montage of seeing the Osage in a way that you know I certainly say for me like I had not seen images like that before and it yes and it contextualizes the movie in a way that like I sort of knew what I was sitting down to see but I wasn't expecting that in the beginning and it contextualizes the movie in a way that I think is really I mean you kind of have a sense is something not good's going to happen but it is really it's kind of the first time I've seen it presented in a very objective way, which is kind of what you've been saying is not trying to have a comment on it or, or, a, or a perspective on it, just sort of like present it as it was and to see um, it just sort of honestly people doing well. And that, that was a really, it's, it's a really emotionally effective way to start the film. Well, thank you, because we, that took a long time to, to uh, fashion, um, uh, because not only were they doing well, they had their own airplanes. Mm-hmm. That's real. That's actual footage of the airplanes. And the guy's smiling. We tried to find his family. We tried to find him. It's all gone. Um, but the others were staged based on 16 millimeter film that they shot. 
And Ellen Curris directed those scenes for me. Huh? I mean, she, I run over, I had a camera that I was given as a gift from 1916, I think, and was hand cranked. And that's what we shot it with. It was so much fun. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, if you see it shaking a little because that's the guy going this way. <laughs> and so they were doing one over there or run over, run over where Ellen was. I'd come back, you know, and uh, the big problem for me was how much, and this was constant from the people closest to me too. And, and rightly so. This is what, you know, you don't get yes men. You get people saying, Marty, you got to explain about these head rights. You got to explain about the oil. You got to explain about... I said, I don't, you know, how much can we get in there? You'll put the audience to sleep in the first five minutes. Well, it's like the old movies. Very often there were certain films when they had trouble with them, like spectacle, big spectacle films. Suddenly the picture would open. You'd see the credits and the music would be pompous and strong, but beautiful in many cases, Miklos Rotso, whatever, uh, Dimitri Tiamkin. And then a legend would come up. In the fourth century. <laughs> what? The who? Where? And it became, they said, I get it. You got to tell the audience kind of where you are, but it, it, it's been done. It's been done. And so uh, to the very end, people were telling me, Marty, I, could you do one more line about the head rights? I said, they want to know what a head right. Whatever it is, the bad guys want it. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> All right, that, that's probably a great way to end it. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for the thank film. You. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America.